Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. You just clapped so loud. (laughs) I know. Sorry. (laughs) Jesus. So much for a little light tap. All right. Well, let, just like within the mini episode, we are recording remotely because Omicron can suck it. <laughs> Dude, I am so tired. COVID burnout, I, man. It's I, real. I really, I feel like I was like on the upswing. I was like, that's cool. Like, not cool. But I was like, this is the new normal. Like, it is what it is. And now I'm back to being like, if I have to live this way <laughs> for another six months, yeah, I am going to lose my mind i know i know genuinely i know i know it's i'm not really seeing people right now i'm not seeing anybody getting ready to go travel and see his aunt and uncle out of town and so he doesn't want to be exposed to anyone so i mean rightfully so and so like we're just kind of kicking it again in the house except for this time it's dry because I'm not drinking for the month of January. Yeah, it's you're, just, you're a damn fool, Miss Keegan. I know, you are a I really, damn fool. I'm on the struggle bus over here. Like you realize you, you did this to yourself and you can just kind of like undo it yourself whenever you I want know, to. But I really do feel like it was necessary. Like I feel like the combination of pandemic and then the holidays really had me like just not being very kind to myself in yes. that department. So I like knowing that I could give myself a bit of a break. But yeah, in these I'm trying like, times, it's tough. It's definitely good to give yourself a bit of a break from alcohol and things like that. Like, I think that is all good and great. But I just want you to know, like, you have the power. Like, no one's holding a gun to your head. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I, I like hearing that, you know, I can really get in my head about these kinds of things and like I I commit myself to a goal and then I'm like no you have to it's kind of the same thing that happens when I start reading books and like it's a book I really don't like but I'm like you have to finish it and I'm like you don't have to see you could just not I don't have that at all I with books I'm so picky if you don't grab me within the first two pages I'm done with you I don't know don't know what the, the problem is I'm sure it stems back to my childhood but anyway, <laughs> let's like let's dig e- deep into that. Well, speaking of childhood, we're definitely uh, talking about some stuff that we've all gone through at some point in our adolescent lives, and that is dress yes, codes. Yes, and this was a listener suggestion as well. We've been been doing a lot of listener suggestions lately, so thank you all for uh, sending those to us. It's very very helpful in weeks when we're like, it is oh, so we're not helpful. Sure what we want to do. <laughs> You know, we had a few ideas for this week, but then literally while we were discussing it, we got an email and I was like, 
why don't we just do that? That sounds like a good one. It sounds like yeah. one that um, has come up quite a lot throughout this podcast. And I'm yeah. actually surprised we haven't yeah, yeah, yeah. done a full episode on this before. I agree. Um, so before we get into all of like our usual just chatting about the things that we've learned and things like that, did you like what was your relationship with the dress code growing up? Like, did you ever get in trouble at school? Like what? what I never happened got with you in that? any real serious trouble. So early on in my elementary school career, uh, we had <laughs> I hate when people yeah, say that uh, we had uh, uniforms early, early on. There's very standard uniforms like navy skirts or slacks and like a white polo was our uniform. And then slowly uh, in elementary school, they kind of like did away with those. And we no longer had uniforms, but we did have dress codes. And I did have dress codes throughout middle school and high school as well. And I think maybe a couple of times I someone got on to me about like my shorts not being long enough because I also have very long arms. And the general rule is that your shorts have to be longer than your fingertips. And I remember thinking at the time in elementary school, I was like, this doesn't seem fair because I have like big hands and long arms. Yeah, I would push my shoulders back. I would put them up and back a little bit. And it's just, I grew up in Las Vegas. Do you know how hot it is? Like, just let us wear shorts. Oh, my God. And on the flip side of that, I grew up in the frozen tundra and wasn't allowed to wear pantalones underneath my school uniform, according to my fourth grade Spanish teacher. She would get very upset with me. Yeah. So I this was a fun one for me because I feel like I may be like the princess or queen of getting dress code violations because I wore uniforms all through, you know, kindergarten through eighth grade, I went to schools, Catholic schools that all wore uniforms. And in the world of Catholicism, garb is very important. It has to be worn in a certain way. It shows your level devotion. of um, importance <laughs> and devotion and all this kind of stuff. So there are a lot of like really specific things, but then also with uniforms, they tell you to only shop at one place. And I think this is really smart because it's an affordable option for everybody. So you can't just get any pair of khaki pants. You had to go to Donaldson's and get their specific type of pant they wanted you to have. And this was specifically in middle school. So, of course, being like, you know, 11, 12, 13 in middle school, I was experimenting with, you know, my fashion more. And like my mom pretty much always let me wear whatever I wanted to. Like She never had a problem with me wearing like little short shorts or tube tops or whatever I wanted to wear. She was like fine with it. Right. So we went to Donaldson's to get these uniform pants. And my mom was like, these are the ugliest things I've ever seen on my child's body. I'm not buying these. So she went and bought me a pair of like Gap girls uniform pants and they were had a little bit more of like a fit and flair to them or whatever I got called into the office I think every day for like two weeks for violations and my mom refused to buy me a different pair of pants she's like these are the pants I bought her these are the pants she's wearing yeah I mean I think that that's reasonable um you know and I I understand so we'll be talking about kind of two things today and that is uniforms and dress codes they aren't the same right right? like they are no 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 and And I think that we're probably I'm gonna be gearing more Toward dress codes. Me too. So when I think Me about too. 
my own like violations. I mean, my mom let me get these like red extensions in my hair in sixth grade and they like made me take them out. If I showed up with any traces of makeup on my face from skating competitions, I got in trouble. I would wear nail polish. I would have to like chip it off. Like I was getting in trouble for how I looked all the time. My my school wasn't that like strict about things like that. But, you know, I do want to point out since we are talking about uniforms right now that there are some positives when it comes to uniforms. Like I, totally. I actually lean more towards if you have to pick one, I would rather have a school that just has uniforms than a school that has dress codes because dress codes, there's so much more that lives in the gray area with dress codes. Well, because there's so much more room for error. But like I do have to say before you go any further, like I had uniforms and a dress code. Like it felt almost to me like it was doubled on top. Like I felt like I had literally no self-expression. I didn't right. wear socks that were high enough or that were too high and I got in trouble. Right. No, absolutely. Listen. <laughs> shitty. Absolutely. The only thing I'm saying is that there are benefits and actually like there has been some research done into the benefits of all of the students wearing uniforms and some of those benefits are that it reduces the amount of peer pressure especially on low-income students because the stress that comes with the stress that comes with trying to figure out what to wear and especially if you don't have a lot of money my family definitely went through a period of time uh, where we struggled financially whenever I was in middle school which is a time specifically when kids can be so cruel to you about your well and it becomes and it becomes more important about your self-expression. Like, I feel like middle school is really, like, when kids start, you know, dressing more like them or acting more like them. And it's when you have that time for self-expression. It's when that kind of starts. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, and I w- I'm a big advocate for self-expression. I wore all kinds of really wacky things. And my my mom was very much open to me expressing myself artistically in my clothing. And I think fashion is such an important tool for that. However, what I would say about that, though, is that if we had all been wearing the same clothes, it would have reduced the amount of stress on me at that time because I wouldn't have been singled out as somebody who couldn't afford to go to Abercrombie and Fitch or anything like that. Oh, totally. Everyone was wearing the exact same thing. But another problem with uniforms is that they are often gendered. It's not a gender neutral kind of thing in, you know, generally speaking, girls are expected to wear skirts oftentimes, you know, which presents a whole different issue. Well, and then also something that we're probably going to touch on briefly throughout the episode but something that isn't talked about a lot is hair as well oh yes um we had a I think I've talked about this on the podcast before but we had a science teacher that was like the designated hair cutter for the boys because if their hair even grazed their ears he would give you a botched up haircut yeah no I mean that's very not okay if anybody touched my child like that uh to cut their hair in school we would have a real real problem oh yeah Oh, I would see boys, I would see boys in tears leaving that classroom. It was awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one time uh, my brother and it scarred him forever. My brother had a rat tail in the 90s, which was something that was very popular, like, you know, short everywhere, but then like a long piece in the back that was braided. 
And my uncle, we went to my my dad's family's for the summertime. He deemed this to be unacceptable for a boy. My mom refused to cut it because my brother liked it. And again, my mom was very, it's very his good body. about about that. Like anything that we kind of like wanted to do with our own self-expression, she allowed us to do. And he was probably like seven at the time. And my uncle locked him in the bathroom and mm. uh, got a pair of clippers and shaved it off. And he was devastated, you know, because you're messing with their autonomy. Yes. Yeah. And and there is something there's something so scary and abusive about that. Like, it's just horrible. But while we're talking about uniforms and kind of getting into dress codes in general, one thing that I noticed when doing research about different schools dress codes is that there is always a lot of importance on modesty. Yes. And modesty, when we discuss modesty and any of the topics that we discuss on the show typically isn't as geared toward male identifying people it's more so for women or nowadays we're seeing more and more discrimination against gender non-binary and transgender Mm -hmm. people who are wearing things that would maybe not be considered appropriate or modern to you know the old school people that are running our you know private and public schools and things like that so There is something that I feel like kind of even goes in line with, you know, being pulled into a classroom or a bathroom and being made to cut, you know, your hair or your rat tail off. There is something about this policing of bodies at a very, very young age. And what does that mean for us as we grow up, in particular for a lot of girls, you know, that have grown up, you know, in this past generation with these very strict dress codes, what does that mean when it comes to our relationship with our bodies? Or what does it mean to uh, what we think about? Are we distracting other boys? Is what I'm wearing a detriment to other people? And that's something that I feel like any student shouldn't have to think about when they're in school. No, they shouldn't have to think about that. And then also, what is it saying about the importance of your own education when your education is being disrupted? Oftentimes, you know, you're being sent to the principal's office or you have to change like or you're being being sent sent home. home, And and these things interrupt your ability to study and learn. And it, it says that this person's education, usually a boy, because that's generally the argument is that you're distracting to the boys in class. Um, that their education and their ability to focus is more important than your education, than your being even present in the room because you're being told you need to go to the principal's office or the nurse's station and get something gross from the lost and found to cover your shoulders or whatever right, it may be. Exactly. So I kind of want to start um, talking about the earliest case that was actually a legal case in the United States regarding dress codes. So these conversations around dress codes really started uh, in the 1960s during the Vietnam War. But what you'll see with a lot of these legal cases is that the people who are filing these cases, it's generally like a First Amendment issue. It has less to do with the bodily autonomy of girls. Right. Right. Which is, I think, more of the issue that we're going to be talking about today. But I did still think that this uh, case was interesting. So 
The earliest court case regarding school dress code was Tinker versus Des Moines Independent Community School District. And this was in 1965. And five students in Des Moines, Iowa, decided to wear black armbands to school in protest of the Vietnam War and supporting the Christmas truce that was called by Senator Robert F. Kennedy. So among the students were John F. Tinker, who was 15, and his siblings, Mary Tinker, who was 13, Hope Tinker, who was 11, and Paul Tinker, who was 8, along with their friend, Christopher Eckhart. And the students wore the armbands to several schools in the Des Moines Independent Community School District. The Tinker family had been involved in activism and civil rights before this protest. Their mother, the Tinker mother, Lorena, was the leader of the Peace Organization of Des Moines. And both Christopher Eckhart and John Tinker attended protests as well. So this family was very much in support of what their children were trying to do. Um, Yeah, I mean, clearly this boy had a very activist soul to him for wearing those armbands and things like well, that. That makes whole, sense to me that he would have... family. Yeah, so yeah, like... so Yeah, like that would make sense that he would come from like a family that would already give him that sort of like idea to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's all of the Tinker children as well as Christopher Eckhart. So... The principals of the Des Moines schools learned that this plan was happening, and so they met before the incident was due to occur, which was on December 16th, and they created a policy that stated that school children wearing an armband would be asked to remove it immediately. Students violating the policy would be suspended and allowed to return to school after agreeing to comply with the policy. The participants decided, you know, we're going to, we don't care, we're going to violate this policy. And Hope and Paul Tinker... They were the only ones who were not in violation of the policy because they were elementary school students and the policy was only applicable to high school students. So there was there was no violence. This was a very peaceful demonstration. They just showed up. It's a silent protest. They showed up with they're wearing armbands, (laughs) right? Um, But they were suspended from school for wearing these armbands. So a suit was filed after the Iowa Civil Liberties Union approached the Tinker family and the ACLU agreed to help with a lawsuit. So the court decided this went all the way up to um, the Supreme Court and the court decided in a 7-2 decision It held that the First Amendment applied to public schools and that administrators would have to demonstrate constitutionally valid reasons for any specific regulation of speech in the classroom. The court observed, quote, it can hardly be argued that either students or teachers shed their constitutional rights of freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. The court held that for school officials to justify censoring speech, they, quote, must be able to show that their action was caused by something more than the mere desire to avoid the discomfort and unpleasantness that always accompany an unpopular viewpoint and that Mm. the conduct would and that the conduct would, quote, materially and substantially interfere with the requirements of appropriate discipline and operation of the school. So they won and it set this precedent uh, for what school officials could and could not tell you to do in regards to your personal appearance. They can't just send you home because they don't like what you're wearing. And we saw this kind of reiterated in the early 2000s there were several cases that ended up in court of again young men wearing shirts uh there was one specifically that was 
depicting George W. Bush, who was the president at the time, surrounded by drugs and alcohol on his T-shirt. Right. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And they were told, you know, you can't suspend him for wearing that. It's it's free speech for him to be able to express himself that way. And so right. I do think that it's interesting that a lot of these cases are more about free speech and less about the body autonomy of young girls or gender non-binary people or people of color. Right, because this does kind of seem like it is tying back to like a political statement where a girl wearing a miniskirt to school isn't as much of a political statement. And I think that what, I think the loophole that was created out of that case is that there has to be specific reasons and doesn't mean that there has to be like legitimate or good reasons because the reason that is always given is about creating an environment that is you know a lack of distraction that is cohesive to a good learning environment you know all of these things and these specific districts are then given the power to just give these specific examples of what they don't want because then they're at least still explaining specifically. Right. You know, Am I making sense? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, I found something very interesting when I was doing my prep for this episode, and that is that even though we get the first kind of like legal cases surrounding what we would call dress codes, you know, not wearing right. armbands or certain like items of clothing, um, the whole like dress code craze like phenomenon didn't really start becoming more commonplace in the United States until the 90s and the 2000s as part uh-huh. of a response in part as a response to the rise of school shootings and gang violence in high schools that is such a, a an interesting response to violence yes yeah, you know, it is like, interesting, and I, I see where they're making the connections, but also the connections are somewhat, you know, tenuous. So, But it should be very, very specific, and sorry to cut you off, but, like, when you're talking about gang activity, like, the school that I went to, we had a lot of different gangs that went to the school, in my high school, the public school, so, like, you couldn't wear, like, a certain color bandana sticking out of your pocket, or you couldn't, like, it was... It was specific to like right. gang mm-hmm. gang activity and yeah. things like that, which is like this is very specific. Like the first example was very specific to like the Vietnam War and a political cause. Like I understand why a dress code would be created in order to maybe not perpetuate some of that violence when you're in school, but then it should be very specific to the violent dangers and not generalized to the entire population of the school. Right. When it comes to wearing tank tops. Right. You know? Yeah. It definitely, I think, became a slippery slope when people started um, kind of arbitrarily deciding what was distracting or not distracting. Because I'm talking specifically in public schools, right? Because in private schools, you could kind of do... Typically, there's uniforms, Whatever you wanted. Yeah. Private schools and religious schools, you could kind of do whatever you wanted. But a couple of things were happening around this time. People were starting to draw a line between violence in schools and clothing styles or after Columbine the trench coat you know yeah culture which is which is a complete lie by the way they were not part of the fucking trench coat mafia, mafia. yeah mm-hmm. I could go off on this Columbine stuff I know but, but yeah that but was definitely was just, was that was a of, huge cultural shift with schools yes it was this panic it was not rational necessarily there was this kind of like irrational panic that was happening and yes goth culture was kind of like on the rise that like grungy apathetic teenager culture and violent video games mm-hmm. it was like when you kind of started to see all of those 
types of things being blamed for violence. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so lines were being drawn. And I understand what happens here. It's like something as horrific as Columbine happens. Then we started seeing more school shootings. And panicked parents are trying to find anything right like they're just like if we could just solve this problem then that right they, they want a sense of they want a sense of control yes control and safety and so that was part of it and then yes there was the fact that rival gangs usually have colors associated with their clothing and that is cause for concern in high schools additionally because of school shootings becoming a thing more parents were considering their children's place of learning more carefully than perhaps they had before and so they were doing these comparisons where people were starting to move into private schooling because they thought that it was safer than public right. schools. And so public schools were struggling to compete with private schools. And so they started emulating the things that were done in private schools, which is probably why my elementary school, um, you know, had and then abandoned uniforms, uh, but those kind of like stricter and stricter dress codes that you would see in private schools. And it makes sense because a lot of private schools are religious schools, Christian schools, Catholic schools, that a lot of their dress codes were surrounding these kind of um, Puritan Christian modesty, purity culture kind of beliefs in terms of clothing. Yeah. And it also is really leaving a lot of these decisions up to the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Up to the policymakers of each individual yes, school who are or often each indi- individual men. district, who are often men, and they're also bringing in their own biases. And that's the thing is, it's not regulated to determine whether or not a dress code would be biased or not. And a teacher can do the same thing. Like I was reading a story about a teacher who forced a student to unzip their jacket to see what was underneath it. And the girl was wearing a sports bra under, but she had her jacket zipped up. Like she wasn't exposing anything. And this girl was sent to the principal's office or whatever. And in fact, giving, you forced her to expose herself, which is very exactly. embarrassing. And inappropriate. You know, like all, that whole story is super messed up, but it's like you're dictating now what the dress code is because you're determining whether or not it's appropriate or not and then taking this girl out of class and sending her to the principal's office and you're taking away her opportunity her opportunity to learn whatever you're going to teach in class that day but it's giving that specific teacher the ability to call the shots on what's appropriate and what's not right and a lot of school officials what they'll say is that the dress code is in place so that these rules apply to everyone right that they right. can't be biased because these rules apply to everyone but as we've seen time and again that's not really the case because different teachers have different thresholds about what they deem to be appropriate. And if they really want to find something wrong with what you're wearing, they will find something wrong. I mean, I know that most teachers are like rational human beings who, if you're wearing distressed jeans and you have, you know, a a rip in your jean at a certain point, they're not going to say that's inappropriate. But there's another teacher who might, you know. Exactly. And that you they'll don't know find where something you're going to go. In the dress code to nitpick about. Um, and yeah, it's just, it ends up feeling very arbitrary and there actually have been studies done and I'll discuss this later when we're talking a little bit more about race in relation to dress codes that there has been a lot of research both anecdotal and otherwise to suggest that people with certain body types and oftentimes those body types are more prevalent in certain races are 
called out, singled out more often because their bodies are deemed to be less appropriate. Right. Right. Exactly. And the way that clothes are going to fit different bodies differently and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's it's something. It's something else. (laughs) It is something else. Yes. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And so because of all of this, I mean, because of the rise and the prevalence of dress codes and uniforms in public schools... Quickly, we began to see people pushing up against that. And there was quickly a backlash towards dress codes. And, you know, my issue in general with dress codes is that a group of adults, usually men, are making sweeping decisions and generalizations regarding how young women and girls and people of color should present themselves and what they should look like. Right. Like that's generally the issue that I have with dress codes. I understand it from a logical perspective of like, if everyone is wearing the same thing, then the focus is on the education, but that's not how it's applied. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's not how this is being treated because there isn't a, 
there isn't an overall fairness to individuality or to cultural differences or religious differences or sexuality differences or even fucking gender differences. Like there isn't a rational understanding that is making it fair for everybody because we don't live in a fair society. So I wanted to kind of like highlight some of the ways in which people have been pushing back against these dress codes. So to give some examples, in March of 2014, a group of middle school girls from Evanston, Illinois, protested their school's dress code, which prohibited them from wearing leggings to school under the pretense that it was, quote, too distracting for boys. Which is, okay, 13-year-old student Sophie Hasty was quoted in the Evanston Review. 13, I want to point out, also. Like, 13. That's another thing that we can discuss is that, like, you are sexualizing these children. Like, you're you're saying that you're not because you're saying, like, we're doing it in order to protect their modesty or to, you know, kind of protect and and maintain these healthy minds for these young men. But by by telling a 13-year-old that her body is too sexual and distracting for the other people in class, and let's be honest, not to be gross, also sometimes adult teachers. teachers. Yeah, like male teachers. It's too distracting for them to be surrounded by these girls who are in these... Items of clothing that they deem to be um, sexual. But what you're doing then is you are sexualizing her body. Like there's nothing inherently sexual about leggings. (laughs) And you're making women then doubt their own bodies and their own existence. I actually got a lot of really great information off this website called RethinkingSchools.org. And there was a quote in this article that said, Dress codes are a stand-in for all the ways girls feel objectified, sexualized, unheard, treated as second-class citizens by adults in authority. All the sexist, racist, classist, homophobic hostilities they experience. And it's true. It's like this little mini real world experience of what it's like to be objectified. And it's horrible that these, you know, elementary to middle school to high school girls are learning at such a young age that their bodies can be weapons, essentially, that can distract or harm in some way is incredibly damaging to the way that we view our own bodies and ourselves. Yeah, I mean, and it's also saying that you are responsible for the actions and the thoughts of other people. So this 13-year-old student, Sophie Hasty, she was quoted um, as saying that, quote, not being able to wear leggings because it's too distracting for boys is giving us the impression that we should be guilty for what guys do. And then there was a Time Magazine article covering this exact same incident. And in it, Eliana Doctorman argued that teachers and administration in these schools are walking the fine line between enforcing a dress code and slut shaming. And I think that that's 100 percent. It's it's a moral judgment about you. It's not just about what you're wearing it's not just about enforcing um this dress code across the board as a means of enriching everyone's learning environment you are oftentimes doling out a moral judgment and that's not lost on these students like they know that that's what's happening yeah you know and it's also very much gendered as, as we've said it's not just about whether or not showing skin is distracting. There was recently a a TikTok trend. I think it was just one guy on TikTok. I really wish I could remember his handle. But 
he was a male student and he wore exactly what his female friends wore to school as an yes, experiment. Yes, this went viral mm-hmm. um, like toward the end of the school year last yeah, year. Yeah, so if they wore a crop top, he wore a crop top. If they wore a skirt, so did he, etc. And then he documented the number of times that he was written up, told to change, or sent home compared to that of his female counterparts. And he almost never received consequences for his clothing choices while his female friends were frequently written up or made to change. So it's Mm. very much a gendered thing, right? Like, you might get looks from your teachers. Maybe you'll get a comment. I was going to say that's teachers. even surprising to me because he's going outside of the gender binary, and that was one thing that kind of like was surprising to me when I saw those videos when they were going viral. Because I was also reading a lot of instances where boys were wearing skirts to school and getting sent home, and it's like if you're not dressing the way that you know you're you know, biological sex at birth is dictating how you dress, that can also be reason to get you sent home. Right. I mean, and that's a big issue when it comes. I I think the reason why they couldn't write him up was because the school dress code is gendered. It says like, this is the dress code for girls. This is the dress code for guys. So if there's nothing about the boys dress code wearing crop tops, they have no basis to send him home whereas with girls they do and that's extremely messed up well and the thing is is because if we're getting specific too there's a lot of times that specific body parts will be mentioned in these dress codes which i think is incredibly inappropriate um more often it is specific body parts that are listed with women whether that be cleavage breasts collarbones thighs buttocks whatever that may Mm -hmm. be typically it is Describing that a certain type of uh, body part needs to be covered for women, but not especially for men. Right. So it's men not can get away with. Out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like men can wear, you know, no shirts out in public and women can't, right. you know, same kind and of thing. Like you said, I definitely don't want to say that, like, men who are boys who go outside of the gender binary in regards to their clothing and go to school, have it easy um, no. in any way. It's like, just it's, saying that like these teachers didn't have to write him up because there wasn't a specific rule that was dictating right, that. that they needed to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that these things, uniforms and dress codes, they present their own issues in terms of uh, gender binary. Like I just covered on... My other podcast, My Worst State, we do a uh, segment at the end called Tainted Love. And mm-hmm. I just covered Brandon Tina, who was the subject of the movie Boys Don't Cry. Oh, Brandon Tina. Yeah. I, oh, that, that even story, hearing, heartbreaking. Even hearing his name truly is like making tears come it to my eyes. It was a very oh difficult um, one for me to do. But whenever oh. I was covering him, you know, he knew very early on that he was a uh, he, uh, yeah. very early on. And when, when he was going to Catholic school because he was biologically female or had female reproductive parts, right. um, he got into a lot of trouble. It deeply affected his education because their Catholic school uniforms were skirts for the girls right. and trousers for the boys. Exactly. And because he was a he, he was going to wear 
trousers to school. That was his preference. He was not comfortable going to school in a skirt and got in many, many arguments with school officials. He stood his ground. He got sent home. And it deeply affected his education in a very negative way. Well, because he's not able to focus on learning when he's constantly having to fight for his right to be able to wear what he feels the most comfortable in. Stupid. Like, Like, he wants to wear fucking pants. Deal with it. Like, it's not... It it shouldn't be this, like, insane, huge battle, you know? it shouldn't. But I do have to say, there is something... There is something amazing about the LGBTQIA community in general, but I think that there is something that they do so well when it comes to protesting, which is disrupting... Uh, social norms in a way that is very like loud and out there and I have a co-worker who is non-binary and they're a senior in high school and you know getting ready for college and all that stuff and they always pick out these like crazy things at work to wear and I'm like can you wear that at school and they're like oh yeah I can wear anything I want and I was like you know I kind of inquired I'm like well what what is it like being non-binary and going to a public school and all this kind of stuff and they were telling me that there was actually a student that was a few years older than them who was non-binary before they went to the school that totally disrupted the dress code wore whatever they wanted refused to change and apparently made it so that the school kind of was like we don't really have a dress code anymore like because I was like how are you wearing this like see-through mesh top to school (laughs) you know what I mean like how is this happening and there was something that was so amazing for me to hear that like this one person was like no fuck you I'm gonna wear what I want to school to the point where the school eventually was like okay I guess just wear what you're gonna wear then like they won and I think that's so cool that that they have the ability to wear literally whatever they want to wear when they go to school yeah yeah it's very fortunate you know because that one person was able to stand up for themselves that Everyone else was able to benefit from that. Future generations could benefit from that. But that's the thing is it's always such a gamble in terms of whether or not it will work. And then oftentimes, unfortunately, like with the case of Brandon Tina, it has negative impacts on you, your mental health, your education. So many other things are are deeply affected and it can make it very difficult to want to go up against the establishment in that way, you know. Well, yeah, and I think that the difference between, you know, the era of Brandon Tino, which I believe he would have been going to school in like the 80s. It was the 90s, like the early 90s. 90s. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So since then, one of the biggest things that has been a change in just our world of activism in general is social media. So, of course with social media and the amount of teenagers that use it, this has been a really amazing way for students to come together to petition and fight against these horrible dress codes. I mean, there have been hundreds of thousands of petitions on change.org for different schools. There have been so many walkouts planned and things like that that we see on the news all the time or that go viral because now, instead of maybe one student being alone or a group of students at one school trying so hard to go up against the administration, there's this power in numbers and there's this power of the internet, of people that are going to put pressure on these schools that don't even know these people, you know? So I feel like there has been a greater shift in 
activism and its success probably greatly because of social media. Yeah, I think it's definitely because of social media. And I also think it's because of generations past. And I would actually give Gen X kind of like a little bit of credit in in starting this mentality. And then also totally. and then also millennials after them where we've had this shift towards nonconformity and towards like questioning authority in a way. Um, and I know that, you know, they're not the first generations to do that. Obviously, generations past have done that. You know, you had like, again, anti-Vietnam and, and stuff like that. But it shifted in a big, big way. And then it continued to shift because of social media it w- was so well, visible. Yeah, because you know? you're not alone anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there, it's amazing that these different... Um, movements became so widespread when we didn't have the internet. It was all by word of mouth, essentially, you know, where now it's so much easier to get your point of view across to a wide audience of people. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple more of of those instances. So on September 22nd, 2014, about 100 pupils walked out of Bingham High School in South Jordan, Utah, after more than a dozen girls were turned away from a homecoming dance for wearing dresses that violated the dress code school staff allegedly lined the girls against a wall as they arrived and banished about two dozen for having dresses which purportedly showed too much skin and violated the rules obviously this was humiliating so like you said it spawned these walkouts where over a hundred students stood in solidarity with these girls said that's not okay and we're gonna walk out and we're gonna we're gonna make a statement about how um violating that feels yeah in 2020 protests at simpson middle school in cobb county georgia began when eighth grader sophia trevino eighth grade yeah and 15 other female students at the school were written up on the first day of school after a teacher deemed their outfits too revealing first day of school you've got 16 girls written up um trevino toward Trevina told the New York Times that because her, and this is the example I was giving earlier, because her distressed jeans featured a rip that was higher than the tips of her fingers when she had her hands placed against her thighs, she was found in violation of the rules. And she said, mm. I was angry and nervous, nervous because I've never really been sent to the office for anything and a little angry because my jeans were perfectly fine. Um, adding that the dress code is way more strict on women than it is on boys. And like yeah. that's such a hard lesson to learn in eighth grade. And as someone who really tried to abide by the rules, I would have felt yes. terrified Same. to be yeah. sent to the office. And then I would be incredibly hurt that this is the thing I'm being sent to the office for, for something yeah. that's not at all When you feel like you're such a good person and good student and that's the thing you're being you know, pulled out of a lineup for it really, it does make you kind of be like, well, what did I do that was so bad? Like, I'm such a good student and good person. What's going on? Yeah, you know, and this is totally badass. Since that day, she and several other students at the school have been protesting the school's demeaning dress code by wearing T-shirts each Friday that read dress codes are sexist, racist, classist. Love it. <laughs> I love I'm it. here for it. Totally love um, it. There was actually another example that I was reading about in St. John's County, Florida in January 2021, where hundreds of students and parents fought against what they called a sexist school dress code. One parent, Nancy Trey, requested the records and shared the data of her school's dress code. She found that 90% of the dress code violations at Bartham High School were for girls, and 83% of the dress code violations at the school were for girls. 
There was one incident of 31 girls being written up in one day at Barnum High School. And this is the thing that I was also learning is that a lot of students aren't necessarily saying like we should abolish the dress code. The dress code should be over. The students at this school were talking about the fact that they're demanding policies that are relevant to their lives that account for the changes in clothing style, value identity development, gender expression, and cultural diversity. And they have a list of different things that they feel would make a better dress code. And one of the main things is that there has to be a reasonable explanation for each thing that isn't just about distraction or anything like that, that there isn't any specific body parts that are mentioned within the dress codes, that it has nothing to do with gender, that there's a non-gendered dress mm -hmm. code that every student can abide by. Because that's the thing, the idea of a dress code and what it wants, you know, to create a conducive learning environment for every single student, then that's what it should be. It should be something that every single student can relate to in one way, shape, or form, and it shouldn't be prejudiced against gender or ethnicity or anything else like that. And right. it needs I mean, to be a valid explanation for why we can't wear certain things. It being prejudiced against gender or ethnicity or really anything else it really goes against the stated intent of the dress code right the stated right. intent of the dress code supposedly is to um, create a safe place for learning right like yeah. that's that's kind of the intent that um, we're being given and if it is violating someone's autonomy, if it's making them feel humiliated, if it's making them feel singled out based on something that they can't control, um, oftentimes, again, you know, we'll, we'll start talking about it, but the dress codes are racist. They are classist amongst yeah. other things, right? And so it's not creating a safe, comforting learning environment for those students, Exactly. Well, the the thing is, is that they want a safe and comforting learning environment for a very specific type of student. And I think that it would that unless you want to talk about something else, now would be a great time to talk about a lot of the very like racist and classist yeah, undertones. I definitely of dress codes. do. The only other thing I wanted to touch on is that it's it's kind of interesting in 2021, I mean, obviously, with the pandemic and getting back to school and everything that's been around that, there has been a lot of talk, like in August of 2021, one student's mother criticized her daughter's school for continuing to enforce clothing restrictions on girls while allowing students to opt out of mask mandates during the pandemic. And oh so she kind God. of called the school out like about yeah. this hypocrisy about like, you're going to enforce that like my daughter can't show her shoulders. Meanwhile, another student's parents can make the decision that their child doesn't have to wear a mask to school, which right. is something that directly affects the health of the other students and staff at the school. You know, yeah, it's that also arbitrary. is going against what a dress code would be because it is not conducive to a healthy learning environment. If someone's spreading COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yes, like, let's start talking about racism in dress codes, because like I said, supposedly um, the intent behind a lot of these rules is meant to create a safe place for learning. However, advocates and legal experts say school dress codes are often used to single out black and other girls of color in addition to LGBTQ plus and gender nonconforming students like they right. are singled out in greater number in general. It is baked in these sexist and racist stereotypes are baked into a lot of these dress codes. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was reading a lot of instances of black hair being policed at Mm -hmm. school, a lot of um, different headwear being policed at school, whether it be, you know, hijabs or turbans and things like that. And to me, that's just showing how the racism of everyday life is so welcome still inside of school's walls. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we discussed it on the podcast, but DeAndre Arnold uh, was a victim of hair discrimination in mm-hmm. Mont Bellevue, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. Um, it decided to begin enforcing its dress code policy that's been on the books for 30 years, but really wasn't being enforced until right. they had this student, DeAndre Arnold, who was growing out his dreads as part of a spiritual practice. Um, and the dress code said that male students' hair would not extend at any time below the eyebrows or below the earlobes. Um, and he was told that... And how he, is that distracting? I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it's, it. It's, like, it's, women's hair can be any length, but, like, if a dude's hair touches their ears, it's like... Suddenly, <gasps> I cannot focus. I mean, and also, it just... I mean, hey... I've I've stared at some dudes' luscious locks beautiful, in the past. Course, but Max's you know, hair is more longer and beautiful than mine, so I, was I hear you. Boy, crazy growing up, it did not take long, beautiful hair for me to be distracted by no, a guy no, no, in no, class. No. Like that. <laughs> no, don't you know? But I also have a hard time believing that you know we went through the '90s and the 2000s and all of those hair trends without a boy having hair that went past his eyebrows. There's this no is the way. First time, like I just well, I really because don't. Believe yeah, it. I mean, but they adapt and change these dress codes to what's popular, too. So once guys started growing their hair out, that's probably when they added that to the dress code. You know, yeah, it was it was 30 years ago. But also, yeah. I mean, they haven't really been enforcing this rule. And so, right. It's very suspect that in a school district that has five thousand three hundred and seventy nine students, um, roughly 70% of those students are white and just 3% are black, that it would be a black student with dreads who is the one who's singled out and not allowed to walk in his own graduation ceremony. Yeah, this was, I mean, we did a lot of What's in the News episodes, probably like two or three where we were covering this whole topic back in like, what was it, 2019, 2018? It was a while ago. Something like that, yeah. It was a while ago, but this was like really big in the news and there were a lot of celebrities that were behind him. It was like a really, really big thing in order to like make sure that he was able to walk at his graduation because it was so obviously racist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as are a lot of these. So in March of 2018, Tanaya Middle School officials in Fresno, California, pulled a 14-year-old male student out of class for a haircut with shaved in designs, which is very cultural, you know. Yes. Um, citing a dress code policy, they separated him from the other students and prevented him from going to lunch with his peers because, Horrible. because they feared it would be too distracting. In 2013... Or influence other people because it looks fucking cool. It's just <laughs> you know weird. what I mean? It's like, just so weird. Like, it's so weird. What are they so afraid of? Why do you have such a bee in your bonnet about this? Like, it's so strange to, like, go after children. <laughs> bee in your bonnet. You, know, I just, you are why? so cute. You are so cute, Keegan <laughs> Winfield. Um, in 2013, Deborah Brown Community School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, sent Tiana Parker home after telling the seven-year-old that her law did not look presentable yeah. a seven-year-old in, yeah in 2016 the school for creative studies in durham north carolina prevented black students from wearing traditional head wraps um a symbol used to represent the student's connection with africa and this was during black history month that they sent these students home and Fucking so evil 
Yeah, I mean, and it's just something that we have seen over and over again. A 2019 NWLC report on dress codes in Washington, D.C. schools found that schools with majority black populations were more likely to have severely restrictive dress codes that regulated the length of skirts and shorts and restricted the use of hats, head coverings, and hair wraps. The biases of non-black teachers and administrators also mean that those in charge of enforcing the dress codes often perceive black girls in particular as older and more sexually mature than they really are, while also punishing them for the natural shape of their bodies. Yep. How many times have we said that exact thing on this show? Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. It's absolutely horrible. Both black men and women, young girls and boys, are treated like they are grown-ups when they are not. They are the same age as your white students. Right. And and we've also talked about, you know, the typical bodily differences as well between Mm -hmm. different cultures and things like that, where a girl like me wearing one thing is going to look very different than a girl of another size wearing the exact same thing. That's just normal. But yet, because a woman may be a bigger size, that scene is more inappropriate than someone who may be smaller wearing the exact yeah, or, same or thing. Or even just a different body type, right? Like, right. I actually, that brings up a good point that I didn't really see a lot of research done on just just body size differences but if i had to guess i would assume that people who have a larger body size are probably also discriminated against more when it yes. comes to dress code but it's also about shape right like uh-huh. i've seen that a lot like you don't even necessarily have to be plus size or what i would deem to be plus size if your body is shaped a certain way right if you have like larger breasts a smaller waist wider hips and a butt Right. You will be sexualized more than somebody who maybe has more of a straight up and down frame. Right. That's like a but much better way of what I was trying to say. Yeah. Like it's just because there is more opportunity for certain body parts to be shown, like especially when it comes to women with breasts, you know, if you have small breasts and you're wearing a tank top, you're probably not going to have as much cleavage. It might not be seen as inappropriate, but someone with larger breasts that's going to be policed more. And I I also think about, you know, those middle school years when you're going through puberty and girls' bodies are changing, when you're highlighting the fact that these new boobs that you're getting need to be hidden and they're this bad thing. But these other girls in your class that are maybe still flatter chested and haven't gone through puberty, like they have more freedom than you do. Right. And it makes you uncomfortable in your your new body, right? Like yeah. these, these new developments that are happening with your body where you're already totally. probably feeling uncomfortable in the first place. Um, now you're also being told that you have gone from this girl to this woman very suddenly who is being sexualized, right? And because now that you're a woman, that's something that needs to be feared and afraid of and needs to have more regulations And hidden. And, it, and your comfort is not a priority, right? Like speaking as someone who grew up in a hot climate, that's another part of it, right? Like if you have a certain body type, you can't wear something that might feel comfortable to you in the heat, like a tank top or a pair of shorts, because that is inappropriate on your body when it might not be inappropriate on someone else's body. You know, I just, it's a fascinating subject. It is. And I mean, and kind of touching on what I was saying earlier, I think that there is... There's a reason 
for dress codes. Like, I, I, I understand why there are some sort of, like, regulations for, you know, all the reasons that we said they're positive, whether it be for financial reasons, whether it be for ways to make all students feel included and things like that. But there has to be major shifts in these dress codes in order to make them appropriate for every single student that walks through their doors in order to make them feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to speak on that very briefly, Virginia Draw, who's a assistant professor at Youngstown State University in Ohio, did find when she looked at 64 public schools in Ohio um, that schools with uniform policies had improved attendance, graduation, and reduced suspension rates. So there is this connection between creating a more structured or disciplined environment and school uniforms and yeah like, and like you know so there is this this connection there it just where can't it be can discriminatory be and it can't be arbitrary that's the problem yeah. it's not necessarily that there's an issue with there being some kind of structure in terms of dress codes or uniforms or what have you but it there has to be some kind of but the way that they're enforced is what matters and the way that they're yeah. enforced or not enforced or arbitrarily enforced uh, is what causes all of these issues in general. And also putting the importance on the learning over the attire worn by the student is the most important thing. Is it important to ask a student to go home for what they're wearing and asking them to miss out on a day or an hour of learning? Is it appropriate to be publicly shaming our students, to be lining them up in front of a wall and showing them off, to make them wear an ugly t-shirt that says I broke the dress code or anything like that? Can you prove prove that what they are wearing or how they're presenting themselves is distracting? If so, how are you proving that? You know what I mean? I feel like there should be some evidence in terms of this is distracting. You can't just say it's distracting. And is the punishment worth it? You know, like we talk about the fact that women's education is less valued in general. And this is such a glaring example of that. Yeah. Like we would rather have these girls be sent home from school or to wear something embarrassing that is going to make them not be able to concentrate. That's the focus rather than the fact that we want to create a space where every single person has the opportunity to have a proper education. Yeah. Once again, it's about it's more about controlling women's bodies than it is about anything else. And you can label it whatever you want. You can put whatever kind of like big shiny bow on it that you want. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's been proven that that's really what's happening there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I would personally love to hear any stories from our listeners. I know we have a lot of listeners that are still in high school or maybe a little bit closer to high school than we are. If you have any stories that you wanted to share for us on our news episodes about your experience with dress codes, we would love to hear it. You could email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Before I forget, I want to remind you all that we have merch for sale and we 
only have our holiday merch available for a few more weeks. So if you wanted to get a holiday sweater all set for next year, you have until January 30th to get your holiday Slay the Patriarchy merch. You can find all of that at the link in our bio and our Instagram as well. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with your fellow listeners on the group page. Last but certainly not least, the best way that you can possibly show us your love and support is by leaving us a positive five-star review on your Apple Podcast app. So we would love it if you would leave us five stars and then a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. All right, that's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to To rage on. Bye! Welcome. You've got a digital folklore. Monsters lurk in the shadowy corners of the internet. Our darkest fears peer back at us from the depths of the web. We can... (coughs) Hey, holy... Hey, Linda Blair. Are you all right? No. Can we maybe do this a different tone? Hey there, I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. On our podcast, Digital Folklore, we explore monsters, memes, and everything in between. Looking at our digital expressions through the lens of folklore, we break down the stories and communities we create online. And we try to make it a lot of fun. The show is presented in an audio drama style with a narrative and soundscape that's designed to draw you in. We weave insightful research and expert interviews with humor and storytelling. Come check it out. Search Digital Folklore wherever you get your podcasts.